Hey, Betty. Hi. <laughs> Wait, Brad. Yes. What were we texting about before when I said you must tell me this story on air? Oh, Boogie Nights. <laughs> yeah. So I send you a gif, a gif, a jife yeah. of... Uh, of uh, Dirk Diggler doing his little drop kick. Right. <laughs> and you text me, did I ever tell you about my contributions to that film <laughs> and hitting on Roller Girls stand-in, <laughs> which failed miserably? So you, you made a pass you at go. Heather Graham's stand-in during yeah. the filming of Boogie Nights? Like, how the fuck did this happen? Who was way, like, was... Hotter than Heather Graham, believe it or not. And I got to assume she was a good, like, six inches taller than you. Yeah, whatever height Heather Graham is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so wait, how did this, tell me, please, regale me. How did this come to pass? All right. When I was living in L.A., um, my best friend was working in the film business. He'd done, like, some pretty cool films. and Like doing what? Like production or something? Art department. Okay. okay. You know, like back-end credits. He has some art directing credits for the like the beginning of some other films. Like the, I forget what you call it, but when your name comes at the top of the film, he's got oh like, right, right, right. But there's smaller films, like a couple of Jarmusch films that he did. Cool. But so he hadn't done any films in a while. He'd been doing a lot of commercials and advertising. Um, and he came home one afternoon, like and we're having a beer and he's talking about, he's like, yeah, I just went to this meeting about a, a new film that I might take on. I'm like, what's it about? He's like, well, it's weird. It's like, it's about the porn industry in the seventies, but it's not a porn film. And it has Marky Mark and <laughs> Burt Reynolds, both of who were not cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's like, like that film launched Mark Wahlberg into, into, into like a real actor. Yeah. And it kind of re rebranded Burt Reynolds. Yeah. yeah it totally right. did. And I just like, I literally did like a spit take and I was like, what? <laughs> like, oh, and he's also kind of bitching about the director. He's like, the, the director's this young kid. He's already like yeah. got the crew kind of upset. He came in and was like, okay, we're going to do it this way. And mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm like, why don't you just get another commercial, dude? Like, this yeah, sounds yeah. like a nightmare. Uh -huh. Right. First time director, a couple of has-beens and like a plot line that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, like this is kind of lending itself. Like this could be like a B movie even like. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. envision whatever. Right. So they, you know, whatever. He takes the film and he starts doing it. And um, I went to meet him when they were shooting the opening scene, which is like a tracking shot through the disco. Yeah, it starts right, and it right. like pans down the sign, and then they oh, go it's in. Like, it's like Paul Thomas Anderson's like homage to Martin Scorsese's. Yeah, that, like, yeah, first yeah, yeah. Scene. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, follow him all through the the disco. That's and right. I was sitting right above the doorway. That was like because the thing is, the shot goes everywhere. So, it's, so you're an extra in the disco tech scene, the opening. I'm scene. not. I'm not in the shot. I'm. Oh, I'm, okay. I was but in the only place. Place, I was like in this balcony above the entrance, which was the only place you could be out of the shot because the shot goes everywhere. Mm. Like there's no hidden angles where you can hide from the camera. Mm -hmm. So I was up there for the for the for all the takes for that shot, which is pretty long. Right. And um, but I was sitting next to the So you're watching all this play out. You're watching them move through the disco, like Bert's at the table. Yeah, all of that. Like, like every yeah, like the whole deal. Cool. But the the funniest part is I'm also watching it. You know, people are dancing, and what they would do because all the music goes in in post, right? You can't have music right. while you're filming. Oh, right. So it's like a silent disco down there. Yeah, there's like five <laughs> or six people who are scattered around who are like 
clapping <laughs> and keeping the beat so that people know like a tempo to dance to. Cool. And they're like the beat keepers. And so it's a silent, you know, it's silent except for like five people clapping and like some clap metronome going on. <laughs> yeah. There's wow. like nobody's talking. Yeah. Yeah. How weird. How cool. But I was sitting right next to the stand-in for Heather Graham, who was, she was gorgeous. And, but, you know, I had just moved out there from New York. I was still in the goops. I thought I was a big deal. (laughs) It was not a big deal. (laughs) What do you, is this, was this your skinny tie phase from the last episode? No, 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 no. Okay, okay, okay. This is is more like my shiny pants phase. Okay, so you came in what, like hot shit? Just like, hey, like. I I mean, I had my bleached hair. You know, I thought I was hot shit. I thought I was still a guy who mattered in a band and you know you looked like she, puck from the real she world wasn't, she yeah. wasn't yeah exactly she was not <laughs> she wasn't interested at all no not interested well that is a nice claim to fame though i actually did work on the film because at another point when it got going you know t- he came home one day and he's bitching about the artist that he'd hired to do like all the 2d stuff he's like you got this whole we have to remake a whole like porn store we got you know we have to make all these fake vcr covers <laughs> you know like and he's yeah, like right. and he's like showing me some of this stuff and i'm like whoa i'm like i can do better than that on my laptop so you got to do like see so like like fake like debbie does dallas covers like yeah you got to yeah, make yeah. you got to make make up like the titles and whatever ah, wherever they got that's kind of fun from. How many did you do? So I didn't actually end up doing those. She had already finished them, but I okay. did all the posters on his wall that his mom rips off. No way. Yeah, there's like two Corvette posters on his yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's right. two different ones. Like one, I think, says USA on it. And then the other one was just like pink. And and the thing is, is like, I never saved the files for them. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, like, so we made like three or four copies of these big posters. Oh, uh, you could totally recreate those and make money. People love that movie. If I had, yeah, they were digital yeah, prints. Them, yeah. Like if I still had the original files, I could just print them out just and be like, "Fake it." That are those are not hard images to, <laughs> to duplicate. Come on, Brad. Oh wow, probably not. That. But you didn't get the glad hand with Paul Thomas Anderson or anyone like that. Did you see him working? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what was the vibe down there? Was he like a uh, like like a loud and kind of boisterous or just behind the screen kind of guy that was the only that was the only time i think i went to the set and that was like that was the biggest production on the you know what i mean like there was the most people involved so i think i i think he was outside the whole time or maybe he was actually following the camera right that would make sense yeah i think he was behind because like there's the only place you could see what was going on was literally be behind Behind the cameraman yeah yeah that's or be up in this friggin balcony that i was in right no he must have been behind the monitor for that yeah for that shot because you had to that's one of those crazy shots where all the you know little cues have to come together at the same yeah. time. One of those awesome movie made. I can't believe you were there for that. That's like that's like I know. a very very critical scene in movie history. Look at that, I know. Brad. I Man, know. you got these funny receipts coming at me all the time. <laughs> and what I love about you is I never. You're never just sitting around being like, yeah, you know what happened to me? It's always in some situation where you're like, oh, yeah, did I ever tell you the time when I like hit on Heather Graham's stand-in? Like, yeah, this, this is why I wear the, the, the replacements of podcasts. For real. Yeah, that's exactly the reason. Well, speaking of which, on that great story, when I'm doing research for this podcast, 
I'm listening to, you know, Jeremy Bohm from Touche Amore interview Ryan just to try to, and you know, like he's got all these ads, he's right. got jingles, he's reading <laughs> stuff. And you know what he does? He talks about the Patreon in the intro, not the outro. Right, okay. which probably makes sense. <laughs> so just if anyone's here, hi, we have a Patreon, you know. Patreon.com um, slash going off track. And you can go <laughs> do stuff on there, you know. <laughs> um, see, I hate it though. This is why. This is why we're the replacements. But, <laughs> sh- you know, Jeremy, I'm looking at you, kid. Remember, I had you on going off track. And guess who he had on his podcast? Brian Fallon. I get it. I get what you're doing. I understand. You want you want the clicks, you know, but what the fuck, man? You know, you start a podcast. This is my space. You can't even have me on. Jesus Ooh. Christ. Oh, this is drummer hatred out there, you know? Oh, Benny. Oh. So anyway, Ryan Patterson, great guy. I mm-hmm. I don't know him personally, but I've been just like getting into this and somebody off the bat, you know, it's like, it's like the receipts are so long. I forgot he had so many damn receipts, like how many (laughs) bands he's been in and how many cool things from that scene he's been involved with. You know, even when, uh, I'm talking to my friend Andy beforehand, Andy Tinsley, who gave me some information and he's, he's like, yeah, you know, he was part of doing crazy fest and crazy fest was a really big deal to, to like our scene. And like, it was one of the only like major, you know, U.S. music festivals for this kind of music. And uh, he was behind that. I didn't even talk about one of the biggest breaks in my young musical life was uh, the Low End Theory getting our song on an uh, initial record sampler. You know, like just, you know, those samplers, the labels with like 25 songs and stuff. And like getting on that, it was a big deal, you know, at the time. So like... He's just had his hands and things forever. And that's why I was so keen on kind of understanding the mindset of, of like, you know, he's one of the people we talk to that has truly from the get-go to now just lived an independently creative life, you know, without sustaining in other ways and always finding different avenues to stay creative and stay relevant. And, um, and I, I really like, um, I don't know. It's just such a, it's like, it's like the commendable journey, you know, like, like everyone's right. journey is different, but I, I always just appreciate people who can never go past that point. A lot of people have to go past to get what they want and still get what they want and stay creative and be able to, you know, not have to answer to anybody and actually still do what you want. It's, it's a really cool and unique space as an artist to be in, you know? So I think people would be, uh, it would be smart to listen to the to the words of Ryan and what he what he dropped on us in this interview, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause he appreciates it too. He does. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't, we, why don't we get into it? Let's do it. Play the train. It's going on track! Hi, Ryan. Howdy. How you guys doing? We've never met in person, right? Or have we? I don't think so. I don't know. I have a weird memory of playing a show together in Texas, perhaps with like the riverboat gamblers or something like that. Is this does this ring any kind of bell? Was that Coliseum? Coliseum did do some shows uh with riverboat gamblers in Texas. Do, do you remember uh, one with with Gaslight Anthem? Uh, or actually on? now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like we were in Florida with riverboat gamblers, maybe like strike okay. anywhere. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Same thing. Or maybe I wound up at the show or something, but I saw you guys down there. It was okay. a strike anywhere, actually. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Weird. Not a good way to start an interview. But I was just on <laughs> the phone with, uh, you know, when I was, sometimes I try to like dig into the past when I have a guest on, especially someone I don't know very well. So when I think of Louisville, I think of my man Andy Tinsley, All who right, I've met nice. from touring over the years, and you know I'm just like so. I just got off the phone with Andy, getting like some some insight on the history <laughs> of Louisville. All but right. what's great is like shit, man. I I I always liked Coliseum. I've been a fan for a long time, and it's one of the reasons I was like stoked to do the interviews, stoked you're doing shows. And then I start digging into. <laughs> Man, I did not know about like your history, your deep history in the Louisville scene and some stuff that I really care about. Like, so the whole initial records thing was, you know, massive for me um, back in those days. And I didn't realize you were, you were working at the label during a super critical time, right? In a, yeah, for sort sure. Of an evolution of not just Louisville music, but even, you know, kind of like our scene nationally. Like that was, it was a big deal at that time. Yeah, it was, it was huge. It was, that was like, a, that was the turning point in my young life and to the, the road I'm on now, you know. It was working at initial. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you get your foot in the door at initial at that time? And like what, like around what age? Uh, I think I started working there when I was 20 or 21 and uh, that would have been the late 90s. And I had been, I grew up in a small town about an hour south of Louisville called Elizabethtown. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about that <laughs> <Okay>. also. <laughs> that, that, as a Cameron Crowe junkie, there's no oh, way I'm going to yeah. have this interview yeah. without, without talking about Elizabethtown. I'll give you what I know. Uh, yeah, we'll get there later. Connection. Yeah. But <laughs> so, like, yeah, I was just doing bands, you know, I discovered. I discovered punk and hardcore separately and then realized there was a Louisville scene. So I got into Endpoint and Falling Forward and Guilt. Yes, yes. Went to those shows, gave those guys demo tapes. And of course, all those bands were on um, initial or a lot of them were. And you were giving them demos for like the bands you were in at the time. Yes. Yeah. Like my, okay. my high school band was called sure, Synapsis. Sure. And so 
And then there's another Louisville band called Enkindle. Yes. And I would bring all those bands down to my little town and they would come play. What and kind of venue did you have there? Oh, just DIY spaces. Like the first big show we did was um, at a, a Knights of Columbus Hall. Yes, the KOC. And yeah, and so it I was love. like, uh, <laughs> if I recall correctly, one of my bands opened and then like three tour, uh, three Louisville bands and a Detroit band played and then my main band headlined. But Oh, you doubled yeah. Double dip. Yeah, doubled it up. <laughs> and because we were kids and we were and our band was kind of popular in our hometown right. with our friends. So we thought, well, we should play last because we don't want like the local <laughs> kids to leave after falling forward in guilt. Wow. But of yeah. course, like 150 Louisville kids came down and all right. left. Right. You know. Yeah. So but actually <laughs> Tinsley was there. And he was he helped me with the PA and like the sound that day. And so oh, he was there okay. with those bands. That adds so, up. That adds up. Yeah, Still so, his business. Wow. Exactly. Man. Damn. So, Tinsley's Tinsley's got years. Oh, for sure. And but so then eventually I joined the Enkindles. the Enkindle became the Enkindles. I joined right. on bass. And I remember that transition. And to to the like, I don't know how many people would have cared or known about, but that was kind of a big deal. Like like Enkindle was like, you know, we all had the empathy split. And right. we thought they were this kind of band. And then they put an S on the end and, and get all kind of glam rock, you know, to us. Yeah. Like, it, I didn't know what to do with it at the time. <laughs> I, I I respect it now in hindsight, but I didn't know what to do with it at the time. I was too too fresh, too green. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, as you said that, I had this click of like, that's probably this. I had no, I had no... Uh, say in that decision uh, i wasn't i wasn't in the band when they made that transition but i think my probably my whole life is that where like i do something and people are like i don't know what to think of that so that's probably <laughs> like the whole trajectory of my musical career really but uh, someone's got to do it first it yeah i guess so. always, just doesn't always pay the bills right right exactly yeah uh -huh. so long story short i joined that band uh we did my first tours playing bass for that band in kindle's were on initial records. Mark, the singer of Kindle, worked at initial. I just kept coming around until they hired me. It was like I basically just showed up every day. <laughs> yeah. Until I started getting a paycheck. And That's awesome. Then was there for years. I, I after the first Crazy Fest, I helped book and run all the different Crazy Fests. I became the label manager, the graphic oh, designer. Okay. Um, I heard you were Zine Guy at first. I, that was my original thing. I was like, so, so what was Zine Guy? Yeah, you know. To, to the uninitiated, you know, obviously you didn't know what this is, but, you know, fucking kids used to staple pieces of paper together and write about bands on them. You know? Oh, yeah. So, so we would uh, mail CDs to the CDs and records to zines for review, and I would place ads and buy ads. And What at the time was like, like when you were sending out, say you had a new record coming out, what were like the big three... Like zines, you're like, I got to get a review in these. Was it MRR? Probably less MRR because I think... Well, heart, heart Attack, maybe? Heart Attack. Like MRR and Heart Attack probably at that point hated most of what Initial did. So... Oh, yeah, by that point. Sure. We were on like the Punk Planet tip, Status, uh -huh. Second Nature was big. I think Trust Second Kill... Second Nature. Yeah. Right. Trust Kill was already over probably as a label, I mean, as a zine. Yeah, um, that was short-lived. After Josh wrote that piece about uh, uh, 
it's something I think having dinner with the Hare Krishna or something like that, you pissed <laughs> yeah. off a lot of people. I yeah. forget what it was. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, hanging like a hex was a big one for at the time. Like there, yeah, all sorts of them, and that and that really also kickstarted my ability to tour be, on my own my own bands because I was in touch with all these people on the phone and in email. Right. And most of them yeah. did shows. You know, back then That's everybody when you were did. like building your web of connections. Yeah. Everybody did yeah. a zine, a record label, a band, shows. That's right. And so I kind of just took it on from there and like booked my own tours on the initial phone. And yeah, it was awesome. It was like the, since the you worked point. in that, like just out of sheer curiosity, like what how many like when Heart Attack printed, how many were they printing? Like, how big was that? Ma- like, it's so hard for me to understand in, like, my childhood head because, you know, of course, I ordered it. I was waiting for it. All of my friends also were. Yeah. But are we talking, like, just a couple thousand of these were out there? Like- no, I mean, I like, Heart Attack, I would bet, because they were really thin newsprint and yeah. super cheap to print. I mean, I would bet they had 40,000, 50,000 copies out there. Oh, Wow. You know, I would bet yeah. a lot. And, and, and international too, probably, right? Yeah. You know, Punk yeah. Planet, same thing. Punk Planet was huge and thick, but still like a, it never was glossy. Hmm. And there were tons of those. I mean, Heart Attack was free as well. So that was That's just right. yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, just unbelievable the, the scope that all those things had back then. That's interesting. So even like a Punk Planet at some point was making like a, a nominal amount of money on it. I'd assume if you're printing that much, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. at one point, uh, I think Dan Sinker was the guy's name who did Punk Planet. Right. I'm sure it was yeah. his. I'm sure it was his income at some point. You know, that was his life. Yeah, uh, it's just interesting to think. So, so you're at initial trying to get bands onto there, like, and then how did it progress from from Zine Guy? Yeah, just kind of um, people leaving. You know, like uh, yeah. everybody was young, so. And there wasn't much money, so people would have to get real jobs or people would get disgruntled for one reason or another and leave. You know, just all that kind of shit. So I was really interested in graphic design as a kid. When I tried to go to college, it was before there were graphic design programs. You know, there wasn't computer-aided graphic design back then. At, at the college oh, yeah, that's when you'd see those ads on TV for like the San Francisco Design Art <laughs> exactly. Institute or something. And that was yeah. like apparently the one place in America like you could go study that. Right. You know, and, yeah. and, and uh, when I tried to go to college out of high school, I said, I want to do computer graphic design. They put me in like computer business classes. Well, oh, I'm sure right. there were yeah. actual art and design classes, but... I was not sent there. So also not not in like central Kentucky too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I mean Louisville is, you know, it's a it's a metropolitan city, right? But like it it wasn't it wasn't on the cutting edge. I'm sure if I'd been at like RISD in Rhode Island or something like that, right. I'd been I'd been on the the forefront of it all, but different kind of track, yeah. Yeah. So but so I just started learning how to design records and shirts and zines. I ended up designing the initial catalog basically from the people that had been in line before me at initial asking them questions. And yeah. suddenly I had a computer to work with and you had all these tools there because at that time we were a fully fledged office with like probably six employees. And, sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did that. And then as time went on, I was just way involved in touring in bands and active bands. And I was kind of at the forefront of, of what was going on 
in Louisville music at that moment. So I was signing bands and all that kind of stuff, which also kind of coincided with that that downfall of uh, like kind of the end of the CD era, you know, where we're like, yeah, right, right. where Boyce Hits Fire or whoever was selling a fuck ton of CDs on initial, they went to a bigger label. All the bands left those small labels. CDs yeah. kind of died and all the distributors went out of business. So like all those labels kind of just died within the That's five, right. 10 year span. Yeah, 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 really. That was crazy. Yeah. So what were what were the, some of the bands that you brought into initial? I think my era was like, you know, some of my bands did records. I was in a band called Black Widows. Yeah. And um, there was a Louisville band called Lords. I'm trying to right. think of some other bands. Like we, then there was a lot of stuff where it became really competitive. Like we really wanted to sign Planes Mistaken for Stars, and we're always having uh-huh. them come through and play Crazy Fest and. And then they went. Did you get with, beat by no idea? I guess we got beat by no idea. Wow, yeah, I guess Tony so. threw yeah. it down, huh? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So, you know, like that kind of thing. There was a lot of that. Like, um, I'm not even. Sh- I, and, and honestly, our era of initial, not to slight any of these bands, but it was the main era where I was involved as the label manager was a big step. A big, uh, I don't know, like like a lower tier of, of people knowing who the bands were. Like sure. we did a great band called Criteria that was Stephen from Cursive's new That's band. Right. And they're, yeah. they're still around and awesome. Um, did you work on uh, False Cathedrals? I didn't. That was on Revelation, actually. So what oh, we, yeah, we, did, right. we did like Elliot's uh, early seven inches and then we did some collections. Yeah. U.S. songs was on that. U.S. Songs was Revelation as well. Oh, so we did, it was. Oh, yeah. We did these EPs. We did EP called like, I don't, they had odd titles. I'm going to misquote them, but they had hands on the cover. So we did some seven inches Falling and stuff Falling Forward like that. was initial though, Falling right? Forward was initial, yeah. Yeah, Hand okay. Me Down was right. the album. And that yeah. was just prior to my involvement in the label. That's cool. I mean, around that time, like that's an interesting insight because that, that music was kind of trickling out you know, like a band like Endpoint was was already, you know, pretty big and a lot of people knew about. And then this other stuff kind of trick started trickling over to us, which was like Falling Forward and Guilt um, and like the early and Kindle. And I don't even know if Empathy was from Louisville. I just kind of lump it in with that. Um, well, they were from Detroit and that's where Initial Records was from. And and Jay, right. who sang for Empathy, moved to Louisville to play guitar in Elliot. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's the connection there. So, I mean, I'm hearing this and like to us at the time, you know, we had, we had a thing going on like that out here with like the lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the stuff that like sticks and stones. Um, but there was a different kind of feel to it. You know, it was a little more rooted in punk and hardcore. And then there was, it's not like you, the stuff coming out of there wasn't rooted in punk and hardcore, but it might've been the most melodic kind of stuff like coming out of that scene at the time, particularly falling forward. I mean, you weren't really hearing like voices like that very often yet. Like, what did it feel like in the moment? I mean, did you know kind of something was brewing there that was very unique or were you just kind of too in it? Well, I mean, I was a kid really. I mean, I was like, when those bands, when Endpoint and Falling Forward were huge, that was like mid to late nineties. And I, graduated high school in 1995. So I was there as a fan, but I didn't live in the town. And 
it was huge. It was mind blowing. You know, I went to shows and and there were routinely three hundred to eight hundred people at shows, which was oh, massive. Wow. Yeah, but it was a time when I think the thing that people don't understand who weren't there, um, and as someone who kind of observed it, it's like Nirvana was huge. So what we were doing was part of the same world of things that were really, really, really big. So this was like mm. that trickle down. Whereas, huh. you know, when, when the next wave of bands came through, real alternative and punk music wasn't in the mainstream anymore as much. So those bands didn't have that draw because maybe wow. the world had moved So you think there was like a real correlation between like, like that kind of alternative music going to the mainstream and kind of how that stuff sort of blew up a little more in the mid-90s? Yeah, I mean, like Fugazi huh. was selling hundreds of thousands of records at the same time that Nirvana was selling millions. And yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the same period of time where it all blew up, even though, you know, to me, I wasn't really a Nirvana fan because that was like the, the jocks at high school. Like, yeah, right, you know, yeah. so, so I was on TV like, already, yeah. Right. Once it was on TV, it was out. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, <laughs> fuck that, I'm all about Fugazi and, yeah, yeah. and whatever else. So, but yeah, Louisville, I think, was really, really influenced by DC stuff. And so that, that uh, melodicism yeah. was there. That makes sense. And, and some of it, I don't actually know where it came from. Cause like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like working on a project, uh, a, a reissue project with Endpoint right now and going th like for really, the equal vision, right? Yeah. For equal vision. So I'm getting cool. really meticulous with all their stuff and they're, and yeah. they're Chris from, Falling Forward and Elliot this, uh, was a photographer and took most of the photos for them. So I'm getting his stuff. Oh, cool. And while I love the records, I, like I don't quite understand where they came from. You know, like the, mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. sound I was actually, and I don't want to know, I don't want to get in and ask somebody 35 years later, like, what right. were your influences on this thing? Yeah, yeah. But um, the answer can't be real by that point, anyway. Right, you know? exactly. How could you even know? Like, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the influences will be much cooler now than they were back then. Exactly. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was cool, man. It was a great time, and and it was exciting for me, and really, really inspirational. And yeah, yeah. I think seeing those bands right off the bat, having a concept as soon as I discovered the in point and falling forward and guilt and in Kindle that those bands were touring, that put touring into my brain mm. immediately. And like, it was fully wrapped up with, with right. the concept of music. Just like people you can stage. see and touch actually doing the thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that is cool. I wonder too, sometimes, you know, in that time, how much, uh, have we won or lost with the age of like digital music and where, you know, the bands that were coming out of Louisville had such a defined sound in a lot of ways. And I know some of that just even comes from like, you're sharing band members, you're sharing studios, you're sharing, you're all playing shows together. So you're kind of feeding off each other with less like outside influence. And I do wonder sometimes if those like real local scene dynamics, especially sonically, you know, have started to maybe fade away a little um, since you can kind of get out to whoever you want quicker, you know? Yeah, I kind of feel like it maybe faded away and came back. I mean, I think hmm. you can trace that thing, like like you're saying, where Detroit uh, had a, and even ch maybe Chicago, but there was like that Midwestern emo core sound in the 90s that kind of spread out and, and it, it 
was kind of along that like I-65 corridor and then mm. reached into uh, Kansas City and maybe like the Get Up Kids kind of came from that and made it a little more melodic yeah. or whatever That's and true. all that kind of stuff. And so I think that all kind of died in the early 2000s, but then I think it's back and I could be wrong because I'm not directly connected to this, but in Louisville, there's a huge like heavy hardcore mosh almost metal scene that is massive here that's awesome and is very strongly local and seems to have a lot of the same kind of thing where there's a lot of shared members and a lot of uh shared concepts and so i think i think that still goes on you know but yeah, yeah it yeah. is different you know and, and i think for our group of bands like you know coliseum and and young widows and and currently photo crime and jj like and other bands that are part of our kind of sphere, that's still there, but we're not the people. We're, uh, you know, we're focusing on the world versus focusing on our That's right. That's right. You're yeah. not stage diving currently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I watch these. I, I love when people are like, ah, oh, shit's dead. And then I see some Instagram video of like a show 40 minutes from my house of kids just going ape shit, doing the thing. You know, wearing the hoodies, jumping off stage. I'm like, it looks exactly the same. And there's hundreds of kids there. I'm like, it's obviously yeah. something cool going on, you know? Right. There's always something cool going on. And honestly, like if if you're in your 40s and 50s and you don't know about it, it's probably fucking cooler. That's than, right. Than, you know? That's right. Like, if I was... <laughs> once it gets to me, it's done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Well, before I get off like the, the ancient stuff, when I discovered you were in the Kindles. I booked a show for you in, I want to say, 96 or 97 at a place in New Jersey called Manville Elks. You were on tour with Two Line Filler. Okay. Um, so you were on that tour, right? I was, yeah. Yeah. And I did a show with uh, Hellbender okay. and Piebald yeah, all right. at this Elks Lodge. Holy cow. And in my historical mind, like... So, you know, you know, the amazing thing about memory, the further you get from memories is like, I don't trust memories anymore. I don't know what actually right. happened and what my brain has filled in the blanks for me. Um, I'm sure there's plenty. So I remember an incident between the Enkindles and Piebald based on like Mark being sick and wanting to play earlier in the show. And there is a little disagreement about that. I remember like maybe someone unplugging somebody's amps. Um, hmm. I remember an issue with like money. Like, does any of this ring a bell? It doesn't ring a bell. And it, it's the first tour I did with Kindle was with Two Line Filler. But it's possible. I don't remember playing that show. So it's possible they might have played some shows together before I was in the band. Because I think my first tour was in 98. Okay. So that might uh, yeah, have predated yeah. this, me. This probably would have been just prior, maybe like yeah. the year before or something. So maybe they did a few shows with Two Line Filler and then we did a little bit of a longer tour. I see. Later. Okay. So, uh, but the Enkindles were no stranger to problems. <laughs> and um, I was a young kid and they were extremely harsh to me, like hazed me. And I still love them all to this day and I have wonderful memories of it. But like, it was a mixture of me being like a total brat and them being like mid twenties right. guys. Like, mm -hmm. you know, their aesthetic was like that they were Hellraisers, and I really wanted to be in that too. I wanted to be cool. And 
So I don't think we did anything horrible, but it was always just some kind of shit, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. So, um, so it, it adds up if it did. It happen. adds up. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, like, it's funny, as you said, piebald, uh, like I did a show for them once and there was like a period in time where I did a lot of shows in Louisville, particularly at this like arcade that had a, a stage. You just do a show wherever you could, right? Oh, uh, yeah. There's this period of time where I feel like a lot of bands were moving into a little more of the professional route, but their booking agents were still kind of going like, hey man, just do a show. You know, like my my contact with the booking agent was, can you do a show for X band on X day? And I'd say, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah, and the yeah. band would show up and say, hey, we are promised this and this and this. Yeah. The worst instance of that was like, I did an I Hate God show that they showed up to like, six hours late and like their oh. list of demands, I was like, okay, uh, you guys play and I'm going to leave, you know, but, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and, and I remember there was like a piebald thing where like somebody in piebald was really, really mad at me when they showed up and something wasn't there. The main thing that uh, taught me was from a band perspective and a promoter's perspective was just get it down in writing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah, get yeah, the contract, yeah, yeah. mark the shit off you can and can't do, and everybody's happy when they roll in. But um, well, something really changed around that time, didn't it? Like, you yeah, know, I was doing shows at that time too. And you know, when I first started doing shows, if I took the trouble of like buying two cases of water and you know, uh, making like four pounds of pasta with 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 sauce in a giant turkey fucking tray. Like if I did that, bands were usually like pigs and shit. Right. They were super happy. They're like, wow, you give us food. Cool. And uh, and then, you know, we just somehow split the door in a semi-even way. If there wasn't a lot of kids there, there was kind of like an understanding you probably weren't going to get a lot. And then like two years later, like all of a sudden like contracts and, you know, like riders and booking agents and all that kind of started coming into play. I mean... I think it has something to do with the same era you're talking about of the kind of the height of CDs and that stuff getting big. I think that's when that kind of stuff sort of came into play. And I hated yeah. it at the time, but, you know, in hindsight, it's also like I've been a touring musician for, uh, you know, 25 years now. Yeah. And I do think that you should give people who are coming to your town, a meal and a place to stay. Right, like, right exactly. You know, the very yeah. basic essentials to life. So I'm not saying I was doing it correctly. Um, but, you know, you were also booking shows with like a 15-year-old who was also, you know, um, balancing like fucking Algebra 2 or whatever else right. he was doing at the time. So it, can't and expect it was, too much either, you know. It was a shift in the culture, you know. And, yeah. and at the time, it really taught me something. Uh, I mean... I may have never even told the story and it's not even a, a story to tell, a, a, you know, like a, a major story, but I did a show for H2O once. And when I showed up to the venue in Louisville, they had already loaded in like two hours early. Oh, wow. You know, like we did like five o'clock load in for a six o'clock door or whatever. What kind of venue was that? It was a gay bar that was like uh, disco nights and stuff. And they let us do early shows. So oh, it, was cool. a, it was a very important all ages venue for a while in the mid nineties. What was it called? And it was called Sparks. Sparks. And um, they, so I just remember H2O, me showing up and they've already been there. You know, like even though I never told them show up at three. Yeah. Uh -huh. and whoever the tour manager was, I walked in, I was probably 19, 20, 21. And this fucking dude just 
punked me out so hard. Like I walked in the door and he's just, before I got a word out, was like just hammering me with her questions, anger. And, you know, I really didn't like it at the time, but it was one of the most important lessons, again, in that like make sure everything's straight beforehand. Right. You know, if you're doing a show and there are there is paperwork, make sure that paperwork's clear. And it taught me like just have everything on my end so fucking hammered down that no one can punk me out. Like I don't think anyone ever in my life has punked me out like that again. Wow. And it, it you gotta just, give me a, you gotta give me a visual because I imagine someone touring with H two O in that era just looking like like a member is sick of it all or something. Like, was he... I, if if I recall, I don't remember the dude's name, you know, like... There must have been a New York accent. In yeah, tone. New York accent, tall, yeah. muscular, <laughs> slim, tattooed, backwards hat, you know, like yeah, yeah. like a little bit slicker than all those guys, you know? Yes, yes. And, those guys uh, were into haircuts. Like, H2O yeah. and Sick of It All, they like nice haircuts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he was called. You know, I was like a fucking yeah. sloppy kid with probably oh, baggy yeah, pants yeah, on, yeah. And, you know, whatever. So, like... Yeah, it, but it, it was great in, in a way because it, it taught me some things and, and all that. Are those, those are those things you take forward as like a fucking, as I'm 46 years old now and I go on tour and I come in knowing, A, I will never treat anybody like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm understanding, but I also make sure that things are discussed beforehand and know that everybody's everybody's aware. Like you don't go in expecting one totally. thing and show up, but it'd be completely different. And, and yeah, all those, all those learning experiences were just so valuable totally. for me as a kid. And I'm really, they're, they're awesome to have had actually. Well, it's interesting. You talk about like kind of, you know, forging ahead through a situation like that. Cause I think the types of people who do forge ahead, you know, like you did, uh, don't consider it like a win at all, but you got to always realize that like a large percentage of people in the same situation would have, either crumbled in the moment or given up on doing that as a result, you know? Um, yeah. But there seems to be something kind of built into you and even maybe your brother to an extent of like, kind of just always like eyes ahead, pushing forward. Like, what are we up to? You know, like this constant, um, uh, you know, need to stay creative and pushing and, and, and relevant with the projects. Like, like where's that all come from? Like that kind of, I guess you know, a, a bit of an inner confidence and a hunger, you know? Yeah. I don't really, uh, I don't is, know. Is I mean, a family I, thing or something? I wouldn't say so really. I mean, no, nobody else in our family is like creative like that. Uh, I think for us, well, I can't speak for him. I think there's so many factors, right? Like I, I feel like now and when I was young, like this kind of underdog mentality was really hammered home to me being like, a nerdy kid being from a small town, you know, bad at sports, kind of bad at everything I ever fucking did. I mean, bad at skateboarding. And with music, as it went on, I, I found my confidence there and Mm -hmm. I found my ability to express myself and I found ways to really, really hammer in what I'm good at. And, and, you know, excel at it to whatever extent was within my ability to, to dictate. And so I think all that, I mean, to be, to me, it's like, I hammer so hard on it because it's what I believe in. It's, it's my community. It's my work ethic. It's my mission, but it also is like what makes me feel good. And it keeps the, 
Yeah. It keeps the like demons at bay because <laughs> right. there might not be an intrinsic. I mean, I don't know what, you know, everybody has, has insecurities, but like some fucking badass, uh, like quarterback or something probably wakes up in the morning and like, you know, is, is feeling pretty fucking cool. I don't know. You know, that, that's my perspective. And like, and want, where, you know, people get, people get bored fast. You'd, you'd be surprised. <laughs> right. True. But like, I think for us, for punks and for me, especially feeling still like a small town kid, creating your own destiny is what it's all about. And that's what it's yeah. always been for me. And, yeah. and I have a really hard time looking backwards. Like I love talking about it, but like if I'm dictated, if I need to do like an Instagram post or think yeah. about old shit and reunions and all that kind of stuff I, in my own history, I just don't care Yeah, for one reason, because I, I never feel like I've achieved an apex. I feel like I'm just always kind of plowing ahead. Sure. And I would just rather look to the next thing and, and that hopefulness and that excitement about that creative creativity versus something that already happened. Like reminiscing yeah. about it is fine on a, on a like human level, but I'm not into nostalgia on like a public, I don't know, in, in my outlets or whatever that may be. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. Like a public display of nostalgia. Is that yeah. a new thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not really my thing. So, but yeah, yeah that like, makes sense. That's yeah. the Robert Plant shit. That's the reason why Led Zeppelin won't play. And I thank him for it. You know, that's awesome. He did, he did yeah. an interview recently where he's like, you know, the only reason I would do this is if I was bored. He's like, I'm right. not bored. He's like, I'm up in my fucking castle making albums with people, loving <laughs> yeah, life, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I think a lot of the bands that I looked to um, 
kind of had that. And as I've grown older, artists that I've like really delved into, like, you know, just off the top of my head, like Peter Gabriel or something like that, mm-hmm. that I've become obsessed with certain periods of their work. I love that what they do now will challenge me and I might not even like it, but I like that it's right. pushed and, and moving yeah. forward. And that, and I relate to that. So I think it's just that kind of thing where like, you're just constantly pulling yourself out of the sludge sure. to try to move ahead and never. And if you let yourself be defeated, you're just going to kind of sink back into that. I could still be some weird fucking person in this <laughs> right. small town working yeah. at a chemical yeah, yeah. factory, you know? Right. I, right. You just, I just only escaped that by, by my own luck of, of fighting out of that life, you know? Yeah. I mean, was there, you know, I kind of wondered that when you're talking about, you know, I did a similar thing you did, but in central New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and even though I took my fair amount of shit for, you know, from local fucking white trash dudes and, you know, the, the kinds of things we had to put up with, but it also wasn't like central Kentucky, you know, like, and I wonder, you know, was being like alternative, being a punk rocker, hardcore kid, like, you know, is that part of the reason it's it's more self-defining is like a, you, you kind of had to fight for it a little, you know, out there? Like, did you take a lot of shit for, a little for being bit. that out where you were? I mean, I think I grew up, the town I grew up in was very small and was pretty mellow. I mean, there were, you know, of course, when we were skating, there were people drive by and yell stuff at us or whatever, but like, I didn't have to physically fight my way through anything. Yell the words from the 80s we're not allowed to say exactly, anymore. Exactly, exactly. Yes, I know exactly which one. I was yeah. the same. And <laughs> But um, I think that, that building my own world down there, like I always see it as, as kind of like Goonies or all those 80s movies when we were kids <laughs> where you were like, man, you, know, you watch that movie and you go outside and even more so than Star Wars or something, you thought, there could be a fucking cave around the corner or, and there's an adventure to be found out here. Yeah. And once punk was revealed to me through skateboarding and skateboarding's part of that too, because you turn every, every surface into creativity and punk is the same thing where everywhere is, is a creative outlet and it's something you build and you don't have to wait for anybody. Mm. And you don't have to be dictated by anybody and, and you can, that's right. you know, and, and so that is, that's part of it. And, and so I didn't know there were local scenes. I didn't know there were, was anything like that. And when I did find those things, I felt really out. I felt like a huge outsider when I realized that Louisville had a scene and we went up and we were weird kids and people weren't nice to us and it was scary. Oh, uh, was and, it like, you f- it felt a little like exclusionary at the time? Yeah, I mean, but whether that was real or not, I don't know. I have friends that I met back then who said we were dicks, you know, and we were like, no, you were, <laughs> right. you were with these bands. Like we, you know, they were just like, you weren't nice. We said hi. And we were like, we were terrified of you guys. We thought you right. guys were oh, gods. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was probably a little bit of everything, you sure. know, and it all, it all kind of evens out over the years, you just kind that's of pretty funny. become all part of the same thing. But that's yeah, right. just, just that small town thing, like I'm saying that, that underdog thing and building your own world. And I, and I still have to focus on that now when I find frustrations about um, what I, you know, a lot of music still feels like an uphill battle for me in terms of getting things done outside of my own, outside of the things I can control. And then I just remember, hmm. you know, 
I'm building, I've, I have built my own world. I have built my own businesses. I've built That's my right. own studio. I, all the things that I love to do, I can do. And I do all the time and I'm happy with it. And all that other bullshit, like, you know, it's just, it's beyond my control. And, and yeah. the less I can worry about that, the better. I just, I push to make things happen and then have to accept what can happen and what can't, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's cool. I mean, it seems like it all led to a, like a real, a real razor sharp focus, which is, you know, not a bad place to put all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's cool though. I mean, you've, you've obviously been DIY, independent. You got the hustler spirit, you know, like it's <laughs> in you. I mean, if you were like talking to a younger person in kind of the same situation, what would you say are some like do's and don'ts you'd provide to someone trying to follow the same path? Essentially the path of how do I make my life being creative and not having to do the other thing? Yeah, I think the the, the number one way to, to try to achieve a life that's like outside of the lines is to realize that probably your creative endeavor will never make you money and <laughs> you might never make a living out of it. So what other ways can you step outside of the path that's put down in front of you in order to live a creative life and to live right. a life that's, you know, I mean, I, I don't consider myself an anti-capitalist because I am, I am, functioning in a, you know, in, in capitalism, but I'm trying to kind of maybe live like an anti-consumerist life or a mm -hmm. very, a very strictly creative life and a very ethical creative life. And when I was a kid, I looked at all my records and I thought, oh, this band only played like eight shows. <laughs> you know, this, this <laughs> right. band never played a place that was a bit more than 150 people. This band, that guy probably works cleaning dishes at the back of a restaurant. That's right. And and none of those are bad lives. No. But, you know, like I've heard many times that at some point, and fucking maybe now, that John Brandon from Laughing Hyenas and Negative Approach is like flipping burgers somewhere in Detroit. Right. And this guy is like a, you know, he's a fucking godhead. He's a guy whose voice could like destroy a building. And, <laughs> That's right. You know, but he's still got to make the living, make a living. And so that was the thing that I looked upon really early is like, where can I do this outside of, of going and getting a straight job? Right. And it's harder, man. It's harder than harder, harder yeah. and harder now than it was back then. Because back then I did, I was brought on to a, to an established independent company and got paid. Whereas now I own an established independent company that's probably more successful than an initial records ever was, but it's just one person. I don't, I don't have employees because right. the, the way that everything works now is much harder. So we're talking about sure killer. Yeah. Sure killer yeah, and right. cat magic punks, my, my yes. other brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but I think that's my main thing. And I, and I don't get asked it very often because I don't know. I don't, I don't think kids are even, I don't think people at that point in their lives even know who the hell I am, but uh, you know, like that is my, that's my advice yeah, to other friends. I mean, that's to, smart. So it's essentially like you got to find like almost a path to support the path. And if, exactly. Yeah. And, and find, 
like if you really love to write songs, well, hey, maybe you also really love to take photos or maybe you also really love to, I don't, you know, I mean, honestly, like work on a fucking engine or like anything yeah, that right. you find that, that, that maybe I can find some money here doing this and you, you know, you call it hustling. Like it's to a certain extent, it is that it's like, I do oh, yeah. all these different things and I have forever and they're all part of a creative life and they're all funneling into the same thing. But Cat Magic Punks fans don't know or give a fuck about photo crime. And, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of the sure. bands I design records for, they don't care about this other thing I do or whatever. And so it's, but to me, it's all very insular and part of the same thing. And like lately I've been recording a few more friends in my studio and I'm like, oh, maybe that's, I don't want that to be my job. But, but maybe that's another little, part little, of this avenue. thing. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so, you know, I guess diversify might be the, like, a, a very capitalist term for that kind of thing. But, like... <laughs> Gotta diversify your bonds. <laughs> yeah, man. The, it's the like, <laughs> you know, if you, were, if you were fucking investing, you're not going to put every cent you have into one stupid thing. And so... Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, it, and it's true. And then it lets you... Doesn't it allow you to, if, like, one of these things just starts making some kind of steady, then then it takes the pressure off the other things, right? Yes. Like 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 you can make whatever kind of music you want, you yes. know, if if that isn't even in tow. And that's like that's creative freedom. That's great. Absolutely. And that's how it's been. It's like I've never I've never had it's a blessing and a curse that I've never had to worry about the bottom line of my music financially because I just do whatever I want to do. And, yeah. and I mean, I know probably most people do, but, yeah. you know, but, but maybe there's, yeah, the, yeah maybe not, you know, yeah. and there's, there's, there's some, uh, you know, and there, and there's concessions you have to make and I don't really have to make any concessions. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And like you're saying, it's like, sometimes I'm really hyper-focused on what's making me money. And then sometimes I, I kind of drift into just a purely artistic focus and then I drift right back to the money thing. And, and it's all part of the same thing. Like I was able to just design a shirt for a friend for free the other day because I didn't need the money. And I don't, right. and I, if I, I would love to have never charged anybody for a record cover ever. You know, right. I mean, it's like, it's like <laughs> in a perfect uh, world, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, it was, it was when, at one point when designing records and shirts was my main income about 20 years ago, that was the greatest thing ever that I made a living designing shirts for bands. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I'm like, oh, I don't like the little bit I'm going to charge them is more than they want to spend. And it doesn't really make that much difference to me. So I'll just do this for free because that's awesome. Yeah. At the same time, I, I really love, sorry if I'm rambling, but like, no, I no, love, please, please. I love reinvesting in our, in our world, in our community. Like I yeah. was, you know, I would so much rather pay somebody from our world to master a record or record it or, or yeah, mix it. Right. And even these days, like punks are owning pressing plants and everything else. That's right. And yeah. that's, that's so rad. And, and, that's what you want. I mean, I, I've forever said that I think the failing of our of our like underground community is that we weren't like like a hundred people in bands should have pooled their money together to pay for somebody to go to med school 
So you had a fucking doctor. Oh you know, it's doctor. like, yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. we've all got tattoo artists and fucking yeah. hair, hair, hair people. Yeah. And yeah. Like everybody can get a free tattoo and a free meal and a free Yeah, haircut. we should be vesting our punk rock pensions by now. <laughs> exactly. What the fuck? What the fuck happened? We, sh- we should have put it into like people that can like, you know, take care of our health care or even yeah. like, I mean, I you, you like, uh, I think the guy's name is Dave Stein died recently. He's like a famous New York hardcore punk lawyer. Yeah, right. And, you know, I knew of that dude forever. I mean, he did, I don't know if I ever interacted with him, but I knew he did stuff for Revelation and Sick of It All and Mm -hmm. and bands from here. And that kind of thing is so valuable. I mean, there, there are, back then there were so few punk lawyers, but to have somebody from our world looking out for our interests. That's right. Yeah, so... Trying to funnel it backwards, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So those are a bunch of things to do. Yeah. What are some things that you would be like, no, 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 stop doing that. <laughs> That's going to fuck oh, you up. Oh, man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's hard to say because I think I see people, ultimately it's all about what what gets you happy in the end and what what finds contentment and, and safety sure. for you. And a lot of times a creative life doesn't lead to that, right? So, but I do, I have seen over the years, especially jobs that like offer good money and good benefits, they kind of get you in there and then you get stuck because you haven't had the the time in your young life maybe to fill out the the foundation Mm. to have a more free life. Yeah, yeah. And you get stuck into that thing and then it's hard to get out because, sure. you know, and, and and those are just different choices. I mean, I, I, I've i had people I grew up with that I love that were in bands with me when we were kids and they went to college and got regular jobs with benefits back, you know, and they had insurance in a savings account when I had no insurance and no fucking money and was just on tour all the time and those were the decisions we made. But... I think that, and, and I think following your gut, anything in music I've ever done that, that didn't sit well with me was never a bad idea. I mean, never a good idea. You know, it's right. like whether it was a tour or a, or a contract or anything like that, like I, I've just found that the things that felt good and that I wanted to do were always better. And the things that I thought I should do were always bad. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, I feel that. My gut fucks me up sometimes, though, because (laughs) my gut's also filled with anxiety. So if my gut is asked to do anything, it wants to say no first. Right. Because, you know, it's it's anxious. Yeah. So, like, I do need my brain to be like, hey, shut the fuck up. Come on. Come on, gut. You know? I mean, that that battle's intense. My anxiety (laughs) comes in, like... At the end, like I'm always going to, say, I always want to say yes and always. Oh, so fight you to come do it. in hot, and yeah, then... I come in hot, and then when it's like <laughs> time to go, and I'm like, oh, we're gonna drive to Boston in February, uh, you know that kind of thing. I try to be smarter about that and let my let my anxiety speak a little earlier to not get me into the ridiculous <laughs> right. situations. Not like when you're leaving, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you have a great scream. I know you don't use it as much anymore. Well, you're about to. Doing well, yeah, these shows, try. right? Rehearsing, you're dusting yeah. off the old scream, right? Mm-hmm. So, what do you think makes a great scream? Uh, I would say an element of melodicism, to be honest. Mm. I, I think that, 
the music that I've always responded to most that had really aggressive vocals, for the most part, had, it was almost like you were singing through that scream and maybe not in that way that like, uh, I just saw the new Beavis and Butthead and there's a part where a guy's like <laughs> trying to, I don't even know what the words were that the guy said, but he was basically showing, it was a YouTube video they were making fun of where the guy was like screaming, like mall core kind of screaming. Okay. You know, I don't know what that is called, but it was super fucking funny. And it was like a guy showing a, a <laughs> showing how to do it. And Beavis and Butthead were making fun of him on the new Beavis and Butthead episodes, which are amazing. But oh, I so, gotta get to those. Yeah, gotta please. get to them. But yeah. it's it's uh, it's like not that. It's like it's like putting your power in it, but putting passion in it. Put still putting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yearning and, and and like empathy in that. And maybe that's why I personally I also didn't come from metal and my interest in metal. Like if you know if there's a hundred percent of metal in the universe. My interest is like 2% of it. Okay. And so that might be like, you know, at the gates or carcass or, or bolt door. I mean, a lot of like the, the earache classic stuff. There's still melodicism. Oh there. yeah. I mean, at the gates is like, I listen to that sometimes. I'm like, this is like some version of pop music at times. Like, right. Like in some weird ways, there's so much melody going on there. Absolutely. And, and like, Minor threat. There's so much melody. I mean, he's oh, yeah. he's singing in this weird dictatorial talk. And so that to me is probably the main thing. And that was the main thing I always tried to get through is that I still tried to have a melodicism and a and a yearning with the the aggressive singing, the aggressive vocals. Uh, because when it just becomes just straight up yelling or right. kind of like death metal kind of stuff, it, it for me, it just doesn't connect as much. Yeah, yeah. same, same. When it's yeah. just like a monotone, you know, shellacking, I'm, I'm, I, I, I only get through a couple songs. When it's like yeah. Um, so what do you think is the all-time, or your, not the all-time best scream, but your all-time favorite scream? And what is the current, contemporary best scream out there, you think? Oh, shit. Well, I might not even know the, the current. I'm trying to think for a minute. But immediately I thought of John Brannon and Laughing Hyenas. Like, I'm not really a huge okay. negative approach fan for whatever reason, even though I really, really love early hardcore. Like, it's just one that doesn't really quite connect with me, probably because sure. there's not a lot of melody in it. Right. And... But Laughing Hyenas was like his drug-addled band of the 90s and, and late 80s. And it's just, it's just power. It's just like, Ooh. it's just insanity. I mean, the band is kind of a noise rock blues band almost in a way. And, and the power he puts forth is just so incredible. I, I think he has a voice that just like, in terms of that aggression, like levels me. So Laughing Hyenas and John Brando would be one of them. That's like a knit band. Laughing Hyenas is always something I've seen like kicking around. I've never really dug very hard into. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go down a little little world. Yeah. Life Life of Crime and uh um Life of Crime, Crawl. The, the first few records are like really, really amazing. There's like, cool. actually there's like a first record and latter record that aren't that good, but kind of the middle is all really, really incredible. Yeah, yeah, I'll check it. Um, and then now, gosh, man, I'm gonna try to think. Um, honestly, one of my favorites. Uh, there's a Korean band called uh, South Korean band called Slant, Ooh. and it's a female singer, and they're really 
they're really punk influenced. There's a lot of minor threat, but there's a lot of like, um, kind of like a little bit of a thinner guitar sound. It's not like a super humbuckery kind of distorted guitar sound. The songs are really catchy. And the singer of Slant, she has the one of the raddest fucking voices. Like it's one of those records. It came out two or three years ago. And it's just got one of those great, like, like intros of just one guitar note. And when she fucking yells and the band kicks in, it's just so fucking good. Hell yeah, Slant. Uh, Slant, yeah. There's a song called Enemy that it just pops in my okay. head or her, yeah, her screaming Enemy. Love so it. yeah, I'm definitely a huge fan of that. So now I get to talk about what I've really wanted to talk about the whole time. Elizabeth okay. Town. Okay. Not, you know, not my favorite Cameron Crowe movie, but it was funny. There was a couple years after it came out where Brian from Gaslight was like, this is my favorite movie. <laughs> and I think he was just doing it to fuck with me because, you know, I'm such a Cameron Crowe fan. And I was like, I really, I was dying to like it. I wanted it to be in the upper echelon of them. And you give it a few shakes and you're just like, all right, well, you know, it's not almost famous, okay? Yeah. Um, but what was what was the vibe? Like, you you probably hadn't moved from that area long before they started making this movie and filming out there. Like, did people know about it? Well, I I was long gone from Elizabethtown at that right. time, but I mean, Louisville is it's it's very very close. It's forty five okay. miles, oh, right? right? So, so you're right um, there, so I don't. I only saw the movie once. I saw it in the theater. It was one of those weird things where it felt like Cameron Crowe discovered My Morning Jacket and was like, <laughs> and one of those old man moves of like, you know, this is where it's happening. You know, he'd done singles and he was like, yeah, you know, when like old people that are a little out of touch discover a band. Yeah, it's and like they, he, he bought his first like blazer with the patches on the elbows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he got his first fucking corduroy jacket. Yeah, and he's like, oh fuck, I got to get down there. But he's uh -huh. like, Louisville's uh -huh. a little too cool. We're gonna go down this small town. And I mean, there's nothing that. No offense to anybody that still lives in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. My mom still lives there. There's nothing that goes down goes on down there. It's not. It's it's. It's just like a few miles of highway where there's some people live, right? Like it's right. There's jobs. It's a small town, but like we're talking post office. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, it's the, you know, the basics. And it's got all the shit a small town has, but it's it's there's not like a culture there. You know, there's there's bands. There's just not a thing there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 not a hub of culture. It's not where artists are going to kind of like make their music. I don't think. I don't think My Morning Jacket has any connection to their, like, you know, if there was some kind of Kentucky romanticism, like Bonnie Prince Billy lived there or something, he does not. He lives in Louisville. So, you know, right. there's, so I saw it with a, a great amount of skepticism. Sure. And, and like anything you see filmed in your area, it's like they're in my little shitty hometown, kind of turn around a corner, and then they're in Louisville. So right. there's this, I kind of love seeing that in films where you, you can see the, uh, the geography and how like completely false it is. Oh, dude, it's like the intro to Sopranos. Yeah, okay, there you go. Drives me <laughs> fucking nuts. I'm like, wait, you were just at exit nine. Now you're up at 15? What do you, well, what, what's happening? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. F famously, uh, the, in the beginning of Stripes, 
uh, with Bill Murray. Yeah, it's filmed yeah. in Louisville, and then the rest of it's filmed in Fort Knox, which is kind of between oh, is the beginning Louisville. Louisville, like when yeah. before they before they go out. Yes, and so it's I amazing. It was like Chicago or something. Yeah, no, it's like amazing snapshot because the rest of it is filmed in Kentucky and Fort Knox. And oh, uh, okay, but it's amazing snapshot of downtown Louisville. Like that club I was mentioning earlier, Sparks is right down there. But there's a part where he turns to go on the bridge to go to the airport when he abandons the cab. Mm-hmm. And he's he's going north. He's going to Indianapolis, the exact opposite <laughs> way of of the airport. But uh, yeah, that kind of thing. I love it. Just so, a better shot. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I wonder if Cameron Crowe did it just for the name of the movie. It's like, you know, just to be able to call it Elizabethtown has like, uh, yeah, you know, a I nice like, so. kind of ring to it. Because, you know, I even I read it said, despite the film's title, most of the small town scenes were filmed in Versailles, Kentucky. Oh, okay, okay. Only two scenes portraying distinctive landmarks were filmed in Elizabethtown because many of its historic buildings have been replaced by chain stores and urban sprawl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a few yeah. scenes were filmed in LaGrange. Okay, um, well, yeah, LaGrange is like a little rural town outside of Louisville. Yeah. Uh, they call it Versailles. You know, oh, in, in my Kentucky bad. speak, of course, yeah. For sales, Kentucky, yeah. I got and you. And that's, yeah. that's right next to Lexington, which is where my brother and I were born. Okay. Uh, which is where the University of Kentucky is. So, so I can't yeah. believe, I can't imagine Orlando Bloom had a uh, very good Kentucky accent. No, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember his accent at all. It's, what it's is Kirsten, the Kentucky accent? It's just like a slight kind of... You know, it just kind of varies. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a soft Southern. I can't really place it as much as I could place like a Georgia, Georgian or, right. or, no. or Alabama accent. That's way Kentucky more Kentucky doesn't really have it. It's just more of a typical redneck kind of drawl. You know, <laughs> and of course, any of us that like wanted to become sophisticated at some point when we were kids did our best to to get rid of it, you know. Yeah, is that like an active thing? If you Is, is it almost like... Um... Like at some point, is it is it kind of like a like a statement? Like like at some point, if you decide to read certain types of books and listen to certain types of music and try to drop the accent, like are people who are going the other way are they like resentful of that? I don't know, but I mean, I would say that for me as a kid in high school, probably at some point, maybe middle school, yeah, it was a conscious like I need to get away from this. For example, Louisville, as I pronounce it is called Louisville. Louisville. Like it's a Louisville. Right. Yeah, I have so, been corrected before, yeah. And so I don't call it that, <laughs> but that is what Louisville is like, what Louisville. You, what it's called. So, um, yeah, It's like Newark, New Jersey is Nurk. Right. It's Nurk. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's so, no E, there's no A, yeah. You know, and I'm sure like anything else, when something becomes put upon you, it's like, I don't know if you have this experience, but anytime I put out a record, and if I start seeing reviews and it, even if I was like, I want this record to sound like fucking Depeche Mode Violator. Right. If every review comes back and says that it sounds like that, I'm going to say like, fuck you. And the next <laughs> record's going to sound not like that at all. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of how it is. I'm sure if like, yeah, right. you know, a, a Boston accent or a Jersey accent or whatever, something that's more pronounced, probably you don't want to walk into a room and have everyone immediately know where you're from or, or, or stereotype you or whatever. Yeah. So it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife makes fun of me sometimes too. Cause she says like when certain groups of my friends come around, 
all of a sudden I'm like Johnny Salami over here. Like, <laughs> no, you know, like, like it's just, I don't know. And it doesn't, it's not intentional. It just clicks on. It's like these right. weird, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I uh, we were playing, uh, we Coliseum was on tour with the band Caveller Talk, a Norwegian band years ago. And Oh, great group. Yeah. I was just band. wearing their shirt yesterday. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like, cool guys. And, and I think somebody left something in the backstage and we were leaving and I said, is that your alls? Which seems yeah. really normal to me. Like, I don't say sure. y'all ever. Yeah, is that your alls? Yeah. Is that your alls? And they uh-huh. were, they all just stopped dead in their tracks <laughs> and were like, what is that word? You know, it's like, your alls, that's that's yours. Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the they plural They all scratch their heads with their Viking hammers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had never, I've never forgotten that. I was like, that didn't seem... Kentucky to me at all, but it clearly was. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard for me to say that anymore. I got I got called out on that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, yeah, I get made fun of that stuff all the time. <laughs> so staying on movies, you know, someone did quite a cool like LouisvilleHardcore.com. I don't know who did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do you, they're like, there's this great like history of Louisville with all the bands and everybody on it. And at the end of your segment, it says... Uh, you likely cannot be defeated when it comes to movie trivia. So <laughs> I right. went ahead and put together a little quiz for you. <laughs> All right. A little movie quiz. You up for All right. it? Yeah, I'm ready. So I did. We're going to, Brad. Yeah. What's like, I mean, we're, we're, we're liberal people. What, what's a passing okay. score out of, out of, let's say, 10, 11 questions? What are we going to deem passing? Some of them are well, softballs. There's a couple okay. softballs. I mean, with a title like this, you know, you've got to figure your talent here. It's got to, he's got to pass at least, you know, like let's let's score it the same way you would uh, you would schoolwork. Like a ta- like he's got to hit seventy to pass. A, a B C D, yeah, yeah right. seventy to okay. pass. I like it. Okay, you ready to go? Did you crack yeah. your knuckles? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I'm firing the brain up. <clears throat> In the movie The Matrix. What is Neo's real name? Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> um. One hint is the guy in the suit goes, Mr. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Mr. S- Agent Smith is the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Mr. Oh, fuck, dude. I like how you just started doing the accent here. Mess her. Hugo Weaving is the actor's name. Yeah. Mr. Smith. See, I'm really good at actors' names and shit like that. Something like this. Mr. Fuck, dude. All right, I'm going to space on it. Mr. Anderson. Thomas Anderson. Never would have gotten there. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. What is the name of the serial killer in Silence of the Lambs? Uh, Buffalo Bill, played by Ted Levine, yes. Oh, yes. we got a Ted Levine there. That's oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> bad Damn. Brains are played in that movie. Uh, Brooke Smith, famous. she's an actor who was in, uh, she grew up in New York hardcore. She has a book of New York hardcore photos. She plays oh, the woman yeah. that, that, uh, yes. that, that Buffalo Bill is. Uh, she's the woman in the hole? Yeah, yeah. Put the lotion in the basket. Yeah, mm, and she claims that she hose. got Ted that uh, she got Jonathan Demme to play Bad Brains, or was trying to get him to play Bad Brains when she was abducted, or something oh, like that. Is is he listening to Bad Brains in that like really manic scene when they're going through the house? 
I, I no, I think I can't remember what's playing then. Maybe like Dead Alive, Dead or Alive, or something. But like, uh, yeah. um, I think she's listening to Bad Brains when she's abducted. But I might have just maybe misremembering that because maybe she was just saying she was trying to get it to be played. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. on set. But anyway, precious. Yes. Um, all right. So, what does Rose find in her coat pocket at the end of Titanic? Oh my God! I mean, I guess the locket. Yeah, is that the necklace. okay? The necklace. Okay, the necklace. Yeah. All right, yeah, all right. That's good. <laughs> wow, that, that's a, you're, you're talking about some shit that I, I don't know if I've ever even seen Titanic all the way. Well, you through, know what but, I was trying to do? Yeah. It's like you know, I'm putting this together, and I'm like, you know, it's Ryan Patterson, so it's easy to just go dark with all of them. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. Oh, he must just sit around watching weird horror movies all night. So I wanted to throw you some 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 pop here. You know? Yeah, th- this populist stuff is good because it's a challenge. Like if yeah, you're asking me right. about like fucking. French New Wave or exactly. some shit like that. I, didn't want to, yeah. I knew that was going to be to your wheelhouse. <laughs> All right. Okay. So Black Panther was the okay. first superhero film nominated for what? Best Picture? That's right. Okay. Okay. Who is the first kid to go out in Willy Wonka, the first Oompa Loompa song? Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Augustus yeah. Gloop. Okay, there you when go. When he falls into the chocolate river and gets sucked into the tube. Okay. What is the first James Bond movie ever made? That would be Casino Royale, the James Bond spoof with Peter Sellers. But the first oh. James Bond proper film is Dr. No. Very. Oh, I love, the, com- I love the confidence on that one. That's yeah. a drop the mic answer right there. I, love I didn't even know that. I thought and it was a tough film. one. I thought it was a I tough thought, one. I thought Casino Royale came out after they'd already started making the movies. That's interesting. The Casino Royale, I believe, is the first actual novel, and they made like a spoof movie of it a few years yeah. before the actual like series proper began, which was Doctor No. Nice. Yeah. Fun. All right, that was that was strong. I appreciate that. All right, that. All right thank you. All right, what horror movie is the quote? Sometimes dead is better. Hmm. Brad, music here. Shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> there we go. Thank uh, you. I knew that thing was going to come in handy, Brad. Is it Pet Cemetery? It is. Okay. okay. Oh, nice. job. Ramones nice. on the soundtrack. Oh. Great fucking Ramones song. Great Ramones song. Yeah. All right. You're doing well. Okay. Thank what you. was the first movie to feature a toilet flushing? Fuck. Um, and it's, it's a famous toilet flush. Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Do you actually hear the flush in that or just the, the I don't release? know, just the diarrhea. Yeah, I yeah. think you just hear the release. I don't know. what's the... That one would be Psycho. That would be Psycho. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's I was a wondering. Good one, yeah, yeah. I should have known that. Okay. Which celebrity's face is the Michael Myers mask in Halloween? That's William Shatner. That is William Shatner. Well done. You know, have you heard about William Shatner? He's not doing well since he went to space. Oh, really? Yeah, he... Apparently, to, to go off track for a second, 
Apparently, he went to space and suffered what a lot of astronauts do, which is they come back to a deep, deep depression because of like seeing the things they see in the way they see it and less understanding what happens on Earth. It took him like nine months to do an interview about it because it bummed him out so much. Holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Pretty intense, right? I think once you go out to space and realize that we actually are just kind of spinning on this little rock in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then you think about like Starbucks cups <laughs> and you just go, what the fuck are we doing? You know, it's like a whole well, existential yeah. crisis, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if how, think of how many times it's just overwhelming to think about what we are as a speck in the universe. But if yeah. you actually physically saw that, and yeah. out there. And it's not Fuck. like out there. It's just like, oh, shit, that's heavy. I'm going to have a scotch. You know, you're on a fucking, you're in a spaceship. You know? Right, right. Uh, yeah. Wow. Can't smoke a joint up there. Um, <laughs> all right. So who starred in the 1988 classic Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, it was Danny DeVito. Sure was. New Jersey. What's up? Oh, yes, yes. Jersey Films, owner he's, of Jersey He's one Films of our favorites. Yeah, one of our favorites. Great. A true... A true hero. Um, in the film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, who does Ferris pretend to be while entering the fancy restaurant? The sausage king of Chicago, Abe. Uh, I want to say Abe Vigoda, but that's the actor. <laughs> yeah. Abe. Abe. Shit. I'm just, you know what? You got Abe in the Sausage King of Chicago. Okay. Yeah, giving okay. you Froman. Right. Abe, Abe Froman. Froman. Oh, Froman. The Sausage <laughs> King of Chicago. Yes. Devastatingly handsome. Yeah. yeah. Ferris right. is cool, man. He's got Killing Joke and Cabaret Voltaire posters in his room. He's the shit. He's cool. Oh, oh he's got a Killing Joke poster in there? Yeah, he has an amazing, like, short, very wide Killing Joke poster up in, in the corner. And he has, like, a Cabaret Voltaire poster that's, like... Nice. Some PA had good taste on that one, huh? Exactly, yeah. 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 Like, the st- have you ever noticed that, like, Victory Records must have sent a sticker pack to the set of High Fidelity? Oh, yeah, yeah. A bunch of, like, brand new, like, Victory Records. Well, they did all the all the Chicago labels. They did Touch and Go, too, so there's oh, a bunch of Louisville right. bands. So it was, yeah, like, Victory yeah. and Touch and Go. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the, the, sh- the integrity skull being in the background of High Fidelity is amazing. It's definitely necessary. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's count it up. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight. That's eight strong. Out of Eleven. Like, okay. All right. You got like a B plus. All right. I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you got two bonuses too in there. And I'm not. I'm not going to ask the. You know, if you really, if you really like ate shit on this, you know, I was going to write the the person from Louisville Punk Hardcore History <laughs> to have this deleted, or at least just be your brother. You know. So, so good for you. Well, thank you, thank that you. That was tough. Yeah, you're holding up. I retain that. That's very funny that that's listed in my uh, my information <laughs> on the site. That's like, how are you well known for that? Yeah, like, are you out at the the bars doing trivia? Yeah, nights and I stuff? don't know. I mean, that uh, that guy, his name's Brian Voles. He has done that site off and on for a long time. It's actually a great resource I look at sometimes. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a movie fan for sure. Maybe I'm just I'm just probably well known as a movie fanatic. I guess. Anything uh, Anything recently you've seen that you were quite impressed by? I uh, saw in the theater last week American Fiction. Oh, yeah. What did you think of that? I really liked it. Have you seen it? 
I haven't. I haven't because someone gave me a, a competing like bad review. Okay. Well, I, I love Jeffrey Wright. He's, He's one of those, great. He's I great. love him. And I've realized in recent years that I really love the sound of people's voices. Mm. And, and, and like, he has one of those voices that like really, really love. And I, I don't, I don't know if it stuck the ending. Sometimes the farce went too far, but, but the, dramatic and romantic elements were really, really good. I almost cool. could have done without the satirical elements, to be honest. Oh, but okay. it, was, right. it was super fucking funny. He was awesome in it. Just to see him as the main character yeah, yeah, in yeah. a film. And there's a lot of like... He should be getting more runway. That's true. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I really dug it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll take your good review to the bank. Yeah, take it. Take it. It's worthwhile. You ever gotten into like, what if you could make a movie? Let's do, let's play the game. Let's play the game. Like say tomorrow you get a call from like, is Miramax still a thing? They still make movies or Netflix. I don't know. Somebody calls you, they go like, listen, I love the new photo crime. It's very cinematic. Here's $10 million. You get to make like a full length movie. Do you have like an idea in your head about where you would go for this? You know, I, the- what actors, directors? Would you self-direct? Well, Guy like you would probably direct. I mean, I would love you? to self-direct. Like if I had an option, one hand, like the Hitman angle is kind of like your obvious like guy movie. You know, there's lots of Hitman movies, but uh, some type of like existential sci-fi expansive person on a mission movie. I really love mm. revenge movies. I love Hitman movies. I love cool. so, film noir. Are talking like Escape from New York or like... I, I think for yeah. me, like it'd be something like Blade Runner meets Badlands, something okay. where you're, you're, you're experiencing a somewhat different world, but on a very grand level and less about the 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 buildings and the technology, but more like how would you live if you were in a, a more expansive rural area in this kind of future. Um, right. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Uh, I, I had like a, weird, a weird dream one day about, almost started writing a script about just like living in a world where sea level rise had just reached the point where it was hitting everyone everywhere. Uh-huh. And that like in your house, everything in your house is kind of on platforms because there's just water everywhere. Right. Like you're not, you're not water world. We're not drowning yet, but we're like, we're lifting. Yeah. But there's water like mm. running through your kitchen, you know? So right. everywhere you stand, you're on platforms and you're walking through little plinths and stuff like that. And so- I love that. When you see like the, you know, the, the man against the big chat, like who do you see? Who's an actor you see in that? Man. Um, I mean, I'll do it if you want. Okay, yeah. I mean, I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> we'll collaborate on the soundtrack. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Fuck. I, my favorite actor maybe right now is, uh, well, for a long time, is, is Isabelle Huppert. She's a, a French actress who's mm-hmm. like, she's maybe in her 70s now, but she made a, uh, she's made a bunch of movies I love and she's just cool and cold, you know? But... Uh, just seeing somebody like that who's just like a very stoic, beautiful badass. I love that too. Stepping out across the world is is interesting to me. Yeah. Then I'm like out of the Liam Neeson, you know, revenge territory. It's, it's right, a little more right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the classic like 
square jawed guy detective thing, you know, is fine. But like, yeah, I really want something a, a bit, uh, a bit weirder. Yeah. That's awesome. I appreciate all that, man. That was fun to get to know you a little. You too. This is great. This is awesome. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I got to ask you. Yeah. There's been a common theme in our last three podcasts. What's that? We've had three of like sort of the richest storyteller type voices. Oh. That you just want to kind of like listen to. Yeah. You know what I mean? The deep, the deep, felonious tones. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Some people have voices that you could really care less what they're saying. That is a good point. (laughs) Yeah, this is like, you want to hire this voice. Yeah, Popeye and Dan Andriano. Yeah, good voices. You're right. You're right. And that's, you know, it's interesting. I've even heard Ryan talking about that where he's like, you know, now finally utilizing the deep baritone of his voice, you know, later (laughs) in life. Like, you got to do it if you have it, right? Oh, come on. You kidding me? You remember that bit on SNL where they would make James Earl Jones say SAT words? (laughs) (laughs) It's like that. We should give people like this list of great words to Uh, say, you know? Yeah. It would be like, I'm James Earl Jones. Mellifulous. You just say like weird words. Uh, So next time Uh, we get someone with a D baritone on, we got to give them a list of great words to say. Yeah. 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 But uh, that was fun. Yeah, love absolutely. the movie quiz. I mean, he dropped the mic on some of those pretty hard, you know. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. He's had bonus. He had bonuses for two of them. Yeah. Pretty. I would say. I have a feeling that you were going to say Doctor No, weren't you? Who me for the, for the first Bond film? I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I might have guessed it by just thinking <laughs> of old Doctor. You know, of old James Bond movies. But no, yeah. I don't know if I would have guessed that. Um, yeah. My only, like, I I like James Bond movies. I actually even put um, maybe Diamonds Last Forever, one of the, f- I think I put that on the other night. And it took like 20 minutes for my wife to realize, like, these are campy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. you're not, 
like you got to take this for for what it is. Like you're yeah. not watching, you know, it's like watching black exploitation or something. You got to Oh yeah, exactly. You know, you gotta, but I have I actually had a weird run in high school where I read a few Ian Fleming books and I read a few of the James yeah. Bond books and they're fucking cool. Yeah, I read them when I was like a teenager, you know, like 14 or something. I love those books. Did you ever read there's one I think it's might be Octopussy that was three short stories. One of the stories is the entire story is just him waiting in a barn for three nights, looking through like this, this sniper rifle where okay. this guy is going to cross over the border, you know, like oh. a thousand yards away or whatever it is. And he's just sitting there three nights in a row waiting for this guy to cross so he can shoot him and kill him. And he's just kind of, during that time, like his mind kind of just wanders back to like when he was a kid and stuff. Oh, it's fucking deep. For yeah. like, you think about James Bond movies, like that story is like, it's a pretty deep concept. But yeah. I can't remember if the writing was as deep as the concept because I, it's literally, I haven't read it since I was like 14. Yeah. But. Well, in classic going off track fashion, Ryan did come on to this podcast because Photo Crime has a new album. We right. didn't talk about it all. Right. And Coliseum is doing shows in Louisville. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Louisville. 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 <laughs> um, I can't even do it. I can't even I do can't, it. I can't. Um, you know, they're doing, I believe those are in March or April. Um, one mm-hmm. is already sold out. They put another one up. I would recommend anybody in that area go see Coliseum because that's a great band and a great show. So he is, uh, he's working. This guy. Yeah. I mean, like I said in here, hustler, straight hustler. You know, like this is, uh, I love people who make their own path. It just makes me happy, you know? Yeah. And, um, and all good music, good bands, good stuff, great taste. And just like art in the shirts, you know, it's just like everything that comes out of his, his universe is cool. So I'd like everyone to support Ryan, do the thing. You got a socials for him? Yeah. There's a lot of socials, photo crime, which is an F for those of you who don't know. Coliseum Band. Those are both his Instagrams. Also Shirt Killer. And don't forget Cat Magic Punks. Love it. <laughs> Go get some t-shirts from Cat Magic Punks. That shit is cool. <laughs> Everybody loves a creepy cat, you know? I don't want one in my house. I'd wear a shirt with one. I just don't want one in my house, you know? You don't want a creepy cat in your house. That's no, true. Or anywhere no. near it, really. Oh, I had a very I had a cat growing up that I think it, I don't know, hated Jews or something. It was, <laughs> that thing was scary. <laughs> well, I guess it lived with a bunch of Jews. It only hated me. So I'm not <laughs> sure actually what the history was, but. There's, yeah. there's creepy cats for sure. No, cats got a thing with me. They know I'm onto them. So, so they, they fuck with me. They do. They smell, they smell your fear. They do. And my kind of just like, I know what you're up to. Like, I know that you are the, transiting things to the devil here on earth. Like I know what cats are up to, you know? So I think they know I'm hip to that and, you know. They, they, yeah, they smell you and they yeah, try they to smell you down. Yeah, that's it. All right, Brad. That was fun. It was fantastic. So go listen to some of those felonious tones. As yes. Describe them. Yes, yes. Deepness. And uh, good luck with your walls. Love you. And I'll, yeah. I'll talk Thank to you, you soon, okay? All right. Have a good one. See you, bud. 